0: processes and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Well, I'm very lucky today because today I've got Elaine Hughes talking to me about disability in property world. She's a disability advocate. If you've not found her before, go and look her up on her Facebook page. Very interesting things about various groups going to court, etc. But she's not just somebody beating a drum. She's got a background of disability, having worked with the Department of Works and Pensions for over 10 years before she was medically retired. So it's not just her story. She's got such knowledge that we're going to tap into her today to find out all sorts of things. And in fact, when I had my original conversation, I thought, oh, wow, this is far too big for one episode. So we will, as I say, again, be recording another one with her on a slightly different subject, which will be slightly more user-friendly for what we can do. But today, it's all about the generalist stuff. And in fact once I get her to introduce herself we'll hear why she has really first hand experience of disability and living now would you like to introduce yourself so that people can hear more about you Hi, Rachel. Thank you for the opportunity and amazing to all your, you know, good morning to
1: all your listeners. Um, yeah, I'm Elaine. I'm Elaine Hughes. Um, I am a poverty strategist and disability empowerment coach. And I was born with spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy, which means that I have difficulty with my, with both my hands and my legs. Um, which affects my mobility and working. So yeah, so I work mostly from home. I'm very passionate about property. I'm also very passionate about disability advocacy and making it accessible for a more inclusive society.
0: Because you use a chair yourself, don't you?
1: I use a wheelchair occasionally, but I usually I usually walk with sticks so or switches or a rollator around properties. so I've got a big fascination in making properties accessible for people
0: with disability and health conditions and working with landlords to accomplish it. Because of course, if you've never been ill or broken a leg, which is possibly the nearest some of us ever get to being disabled, we've no idea actually how much space somebody needs. and Absolutely. when when we first spoke, you, for instance, like to have an open plan so that you can get about, don't you? And that is quite useful.
1: Yeah, open plan living is what is ideal for for somebody with a disability. But also, you know, a lot of people use different methods in terms of whether whether it be holding onto walls or holding onto doors or just basically just um, having equipment around. So whether it be, you know, some people use like an inside trolley to carry food and stuff, so the more there is no obstacles in their way, the better it is for them.
0: Absolutely. And so that is actually something that can be used for a variety of people. So it's not just creating a niche property for only one type of person. There's lots of people. Now, before we go into it, I mean, I think one of the things that everyone is always surprised about is that This has really come to the fore quite recently because, of course, there is quite a a pinch point at the moment about the number of properties to rent. And part of this is, I mean, I know it's very easy to blame landlords, but it's partly because there's been a, a continual flock of legislation that's coming through, which has led to quite a few landlords and a few, of course, when you multiply it up is a large number leaving the industry. And for instance, a statistic I saw this morning is that in December 22, so just gone by, there was actually roughly 200 properties for rent across the country, which isn't very many considering only three years before it was 328,000 properties in the same time. so. Already you've got a a bit of a squeeze and that of course means that if you are needing something slightly different, then you're going to have a problem straight away. And one of the things that I thought we'd start with is when you as a disabled person get, you have to leave wherever it is you're living, how easy is it to find a new property?
1: Oh, (laughs) it's really difficult. The biggest factor is that most, you know, the level of stable properties of, you know, so, so stable, accessible properties available is very, very tiny, it's very, very slim. And um, what it is, and that's, you know, there's, there's kind of two types. So you have properties that have been adapted for a disabled person, which are often council properties that have now been purchased by a landlord or a property developer, who then rips out the stable facility and puts it back to you know, retail, you know, retail value. And unfortunately... With government and well, so councils and private developers, and other, are under no authority to build disabled housing or put or make properties still accessible.
0: So you can't just go. You can't just go into um, a letting agent and they will. They will have a nice little group of houses for you to go and look at.
1: No, it's very, very, It's very, very rare. You know, the quest but the most, most obvious ones are bungalows, which obviously are in, in high demand. And they tend to go from, hourly possible buy it and then the family inherits that property and they sell it off and it goes back into the system. There's no real legislation. I know some councils are trying to build uh, disabled accessible properties, but I was looking, I was looking at my local area yesterday, Haringey, and they've got like 300 developments going and probably about 10 to 15 properties in there are actually disabled accessible.
0: Yes, which isn't very many. And as you've actually touched the problem, which all of us who are in property are now shrieking at this podcast, going, bungalows, they are incredibly expensive to build. Yeah, and exactly. although you think they can't possibly be because it's only one story, of course, they take up a huge amount of land, and the land is the bit that's the expensive. Exactly. And of course, this is also a part knock on from which, you know, in theory is fantastic, but that, you know, we're now what, 30, 25 years, 30 years down the line from that. And that has meant, as you say, so many of these houses have dropped out of the system and are now back to being vanilla. So it's not easy, is it? If you, if you say that you can't just change houses very quickly, that means that you make great tenants because you want to stay somewhere for a long time. I think from speaking to landlords, they also feel that a sale property
1: is not attractive. It's less desirable.
0: Yes, it is. If it's been adapted, most people won't want to live in it.
1: Yeah, and I would argue about that for somebody who's got a health condition or disability, they want that property. <laughs> they're, they're, they're probably sat on the waiting list somewhere trying to trying to get a property that isn't adaptable. So I see both sides of the argument. I see from a landlord's point of view that yes, it's not attractive, you can't do anything with it. However, the list for the sale you accessible know, properties by councils who need to put out somebody who's, who, for example, is in a wheelchair or who has mobility issues, their list is so tiny, they're struggling. So what they're doing is they're putting people in non-accessible... Properties and, and which is in turn inflicting and causing more harm to that person.
0: I can see that, but I, I find it extraordinary that so you know, as a landlord who interacts with my councils because I work with several, and you ask them what they want, I have never ever been told we need disabled houses. I've been told we need houses for people with blended families, you know, so all that kind yeah. of stuff. They often say we want to have tiny houses for one people, one person, or whatever, but they're missing a trick because had they said to me, I would gone and found because that's what we do we go and find houses that we can then rent out you know that okay. it's not rocket science so it is about raising the profile of your needs on council lists and I know that's what you're going to be doing beating the drum so I hope you're taking harrogate by the throat and going come <laughs> along if next time a landlord approaches you say I need x and y exactly yeah it's, it's, it's extremely frustrating but it's also I think it's awareness I think it's
1: it's showing landlords and property developers that disabled people actually can benefit your property long term. Yeah, you know what I mean they they aren't they aren't you mean know, you know statistically they are more likely to stay in that property, they're more likely to take care of upkeep the property, they're more likely to to to, to value the property, increase your value. So they actually are good. They actually actually make really amazing tenants. But I just don't think that their you know that that perception you know. It is.
0: And also the perception is that a disabled person is a burden on society. Well, you proved, yeah. you absolutely prove that, you know, you worked for the government for 10 years. <laughs> um, you know, so therefore you weren't sitting in a corner doing nothing all that time. You were part of the community. You were contributing to tax and everything else. No different, except you have some slightly different configurations in a house that need to be addressed. And in fact, you've even—I was delighted to discover there's even a name, there's a colour for disabled pound, isn't it? It's the purple pound. That's correct.
1: Yes, yes, the purple pound. Yeah, is it basically collects? The purple pound is, uh, you know, it constitutes a disabled spending power, which not just you know, which as a whole, you know, the UK, the whole is just for the UK. Forget about the sale. People's spending power, you know. The sale people, you know, buy stuff online. They go shop and they keep the economy afloat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, and that was something because, of course, as property people, we talk about because we all like to know our end users. When we start ripping a building apart, we have an end user in mind, and this is what I find so shocking that so many of us fail to think about the purple colour now, because we think about the pink or the grey, particularly the grey. I'm a great fan of the grey pound. This is another thing that we can start to think about. Now, we were talking earlier, before we started, about the fact that you may well have to move out. You had to move out of your previous place because you're in temporary accommodation, aren't you? Yes, I am. I am. And how long has your temporary been so far? I've been in temporary five years in one property that was completely unsuitable. But absolutely, but five years to most people is not temporary.
1: Yeah, well, it's temporary because the council don't have any suitable accommodation for me. So I've been in a temporary, well, there wasn't a temporary accommodation before. Do that now. But the last property was a two-bedroom ground floor flat, which was great. However, yeah, it was full of mould. It had steps. I could access the bathroom. I, could, I was literally confined to one room with my disability.
0: Absolutely. and And so... Temporary accommodation to most people that sounds as if the, the council has got this little group of houses that are called temporary. But temporary accommodation can be anything, can't it? Yeah, temporary there's a myth I've a myth around temporary. So realistically the council doesn't own temporary accommodation.
1: The council doesn't own temporary temporary accommodation is basically what the council palm off to, to estate agents who have properties. So Basically they will rent their properties to the council for a short term let. Big bit like Airbnb, yeah? Yeah. Um, and this this, this includes hotels, it includes b and B, it includes charities, accommodation. all So you have no control over it. So when my landlord that I lived in my, previously, he decided that, you know, because of my adaptations that we were we needed, he wasn't going to do it, he gave me the eviction to, to leave the property, which is fine. We had to be put into accommodation. So I had to fight to get into the place, at that point. They wanted to put me into a hostel and the B&B. And I had to express someone, because of my health conditions, I cannot go to a hostel or an Airbnb. And luckily, I looked out. Someone was supposed to turn up for the property, and they didn't turn up. So they go oh, the next one on the list to get, back, get that property. There was there's a, a bit of luck there. Some people aren't that
0: lucky. <laughs> no. And, and what I must say here as well is, there is a perception that disabled people always come in singles. You're a family, aren't you? I'm a family of
1: am a family of my daughter and that is very true and also we, we come with we come with animals we come with, with carers we also carers still we come with packages as well some people have packages of care we have social workers we have community workers so it's not just Oh, we stick them into a B&B. You know, the upheaval of doing it is really quite traumatic. It's quite a traumatic process because when you move into temporary accommodation, we weren't allowed to take any of our belongings. We had to stand everything off and literally turn up with just what we had on our, our backs in the suitcase. That's
0: very, very hard.
1: Yes, extremely, extremely hard. Especially when you live somewhere and you've got a life and then suddenly you're reduced down to a couple of suitcases and you're not allowed to take your personal possessions with you and then you've got to find the whole case of you know storage accommodation noise kind of stuff which is an expense so if you've got disability but the average cost of somebody with a hidden disability is around about five thousand pounds a year the average uh, average extra cost of somebody with a physical
0: disability is anything between 15 to 20 thousand pounds a year that's quite a considerable amount and I was interested, It's past my research, I was fascinated to discover, of course, that there are hidden problems of being disabled. It's not just the fact that your arms and your legs don't work properly. It's the fact, for instance, you can't have your hair done by yourself. So yeah. you're going to have to, these, this is what's the hidden stuff in and that to me, hair, hair is something every woman can understand. But that's not just a case of you not being able to do your hair because you can't get in the shower because you've only got a bath. But it may well be that you even if you had a shower, you would still have to go out and have it done elsewhere or someone come in. Exactly. So you've got to have a bathroom that another person can work alongside you, for instance. Exactly. Yeah, you've got to have it's about to think about logic. So for example for myself,
1: so why you, the even cost of disability you can be anything from if say for example you you are you know, you have a, a food intolerance, you know you're buying with food products. If you are, like you say, for me, I have, I have to go to the hairdresser or get a hairdresser to come in and do my hair. You know, having someone to come in and do pedicures and stuff like that, because you can't get out. So these are all hidden costs that you have. But also, you know I mean? A lot of disabled people, you know, not all disabled people, they have a care system. So they need, like, you know, a bob for a carrier to come in and give them to an Not every because a lot of people want to live in, in living an independent life, yes. but they need to help to do so.
0: Yes, and, and of course, independent life with carers means they've actually got to get in through the front door. Exactly. Now, you can't leap up from your chair because you're disabled and whiz at great speed to open the door when the doorbell goes. So, how do people get into your house?
1: So, I'm very lucky that my um, we've got a fob fitted. so the carers can use a, fob, a swipe system to come in and to the, to the, to the door and, and get in that way. Some landlords do not allow these kind of small changes to their property. And this can sometimes be, be life or death. You know, because if a carer needs to come in, they have to wait for the person to, to get in, especially if they're elderly, get up and open the door. This thing can cause to, to, to the person falling over, causing an injury to themselves and all these kind of things. There's a bit about so it's all about strategic planning and thinking to yourself, how can we make it easier for that person who may have a physical disability or even a hidden disability? How, how, how can we make it easier for that person in the property?
0: Yes. Um, I mean, I, I can think of several people I know who are property developers who are in fact disabled. I can think of one blind person and one person with some sort of skeletal problem. I, you know, The words, are, I, I don't know the ins and it because it's always so technically medical and the work, medical words are so long and I'm hopeless at that. But they probably work within their own areas, but there just aren't enough of it. And I was thinking if, I mean, I can see that for a short term landlord who's only in it really for, you know, a couple of years, 10 years at the most. Then this is not going to be a niche that they're going to particularly want to work with. But if you're a legacy business, you know there are people who are setting up companies that they know. For instance, they're going to hand on. We we, for instance, know well. I'm second generation on some of our properties, and our son will take them on. Yeah, that's the kind of person and landlord who can go. No, this is going to be for me because I mean, we we have a cultural tenancies. They are, for all intents and purposes, a bit like having a disabled person in that once you're in, you're in. You're not going anywhere. And in fact, one of our tenants is yeah, well yeah. over 40 years plus in the building. Now, that, that's lovely, isn't it? That's what you would like. Wow. But that is a, it's a case of trying to explain to someone who's got a business like that, that you're a good bet. And somehow we've got to tie this up with the government, haven't we, so that they can encourage landlords to do this. Absolutely, but I think also also short term let landlords
1: can make small changes. It does not have to be neither or I think they, I think I think there is space for a short term, you know, landlord. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about. I'm not, I'm not talking. About, I know everyone thinks that if disabled, oh, it's thousands of pounds of. Oh, of it's not. It's a small thing. It's like you know having a mid-height oven or for example changing the taps from a you know you know traditional twist to a
0: flick tap. tap. Do you know say That's not a big that's not a big adaptation. That's very doable. Exactly, you know, is to you know maybe have a rail in
1: the hallway. You know I mean? say so that someone who's got a mobility problem, they've got a handrail they can hold as they walk walk past. So it's not these aren't you know you're having a rail up a staircase, do you know, saying? On, you know next extra rail. These are not big financial investments, I mean, but for somebody who is stable, that's a lifeline.
0: And so if you were talking short term there, then that's presumably your Airbnb. Yeah,
1: Airbnb or, you know, people who want to.
0: And that's where we run into the problem because we all know that Airbnb is sold basically A, on location and B, on how lovely it looks. Exactly. And the able body community is extremely fickle, they do buy with their eyes. They might go into a house with rails in the hall if it was the last one on earth, but it wouldn't be the one that they chose straight away. And, and of course we uh, are in a bit, we are a business and we have to maximize our profits. So
1: and that that's because disability has been sold as a tool and not a not a thing and not a, sold as a problem and the negativity around disability.
0: Well, vis- well, visual things. Many of us are very tuned into visual, I am. But <laughs> interestingly though, you as the purple pound, you want to go on holiday, don't you? Exactly. Exactly. And so therefore you've got to have somewhere to stay. So this you you know, it's not an either or, is it? It work, you can work, hand, it can work hand in hand. I do, I do think
1: that there's a lot of negativity around disability, whether it be hidden or physical. And I think we need to change that mindset and the concept around it. Because they're not, they're not you know, you're saying like disabled people have a huge spending power. It's about around about 300 billion pounds a year. That's lost revenue of businesses in the UK alone. So globally, you, you probably times that by 10. And you don't, invest or support your, you know, people with disabilities and encourage them to buy from you, you know, to so people, you know, want that freedom of traveling on holiday. There's a massive shortage of sustainable, accessible holiday properties. There are there a few companies trying to build more. There's, there's a severe lacking in it. Um, there's, a, there's a severe lacking of, of like long-term homes for people with disabilities and supporting them in in, in that kind of
0: method. So interesting, long term homes. Now, this is this is something that definitely sparks my interest because, you know, as I, I mean, I've been in property twenty years, over twenty years, and there are more and more landlords now who are actually buying up small blocks of flats, for instance, and handing them over to companies who are providers, are long service providers, but there aren't enough. Because quite often they are to do with homeless or something like that. But there aren't enough who well, probably the bigger companies who go, Well, we're just going to specialise in doing disabled blocks of flats, which you'd have to do if you need to get everything to work. You know, that's that's what you would like also more landlords to do, is go, yeah, I'll buy, you know, say and when you say block of flats, we're not thinking the towering inferno here. We're talking, you know, probably three blocks, three heights maximum type thing. Yeah, I, mean, I think generally there just needs to be more put into property
1: that's accessible for people with disabilities. Whether it's a flat or whether it's, I think I think people, landlords are missing, I personally believe that landlords are missing a trip. They're not thinking to, they're not... Drinking outside the box. That's why my business calls outside
0: the box. <laughs> but and, and that's an interesting thing you see is because most people think, oh well, you know, what happens if they lose their jobs or whatever? But in fact, you are just like many people who are listening to the podcast, you're a serial entrepreneur. You have an online business that brings in more money per month than the average of our tenants put together type thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm self-employed. A lot of just you know, that,
1: again, come back to that myth. A lot of disabled people work <laughs> or are employed, you know saying, in some ways. Whether that be self-employment or whether they're working part-time, or a lot of a lot more disabled people want to work, but the facilities aren't there. So whether that be in their workplace, whether that be in you know in the in the, in the role they're doing. And also with the pandemic, you know, before the pandemic, I, I was screaming for companies to allow disabled people to work from home. Pandemic hits and then suddenly everyone's working from home. After years of me screaming for it to be people and, and for companies to oh, We can't let people work from home. There's no facilities. Boom. Pandemic. Everyone's working from home. Yes. yes. So you say they can be done. So I just think it's that, you know, and there's, 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 there's a recent statistic out that one in four employers will not employ somebody with a disability. So if you put that statistics to landlords, how many landlords will not rent to a person with a disability because they assume that they're on benefits
0: or they're not working or they don't have any income coming in, when in fact, I mean, that may not actually be the case. Yes, I, I, think, I think it is a case of saying the person behind the disability. Exactly. I know that's a terribly hackneyed phrase, but I think if people stop thinking you know, and closing down the idea and take this niche very seriously, I think I agree with you that there is definitely the possibility that there are some people who could create some extremely nice houses and find that they are financially sound and worth investing in. I mean, it's very difficult, I think, for a a newbie landlord. And I think this is possibly not so well understood in the outside world because there's been years of low interest rates and it's always been, oh, those wicked landlords, they're getting all that profit and they don't hand anything back. But of course, coming up alongside that was this huge, as I say, large change in regulations, one of which is our mortgages now are not deemed a tax break when they are looked at at the end of the year for tax purposes, they're actually deemed to be a profit. So not only have I paid X amount of pounds to a mortgage company, but I'm now being told I have to pay tax on that because it was technically money coming in, which has meant that if you are a new landlord, your abilities, your wiggle room for being able to do lots of changes is probably not very great. If you've been in the game a long time or you've got a property with no borrowings on it, it's probably easier. And so therefore, I think that's causing a problem. And I think that it may be one of those things that we've just got to keep pushing. It will take a little bit of time, but perhaps it is one of those ideas that you can change the government's viewpoint on what is a reasonable tax break for someone providing a long-term home to a disabled person of whatever type it is. Because you want those long tenancies, don't you? Exactly. There is there is, a, there is a there are a few
1: landlords that I know of who have who have applied. There, 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 there is a thing called the the disabled facilities grant, and I know a few landlords have started applied for it. So they've got a long term tenant in there who's got disability. Their conditions got worse, and they they've got so that means that that they've had, been able to convert the house into a you know a. Because you know bathroom downstairs or whatever to make that person's life a lot easier, and that's that—that's the thing. We do sixty-five thousand pounds, that's how much you know for a property, and obviously the, the, the landlord will make the back up that property because it, it has. I mean, you know, you know the the tenant's long-term uh, tenant in that property.
0: So just to clear that up, they get the grant, they can do the works, and then they've got. It's basically they're locked in. Yeah,
1: they're locked in, so they can't sell property for five years. I believe the government are looking at it used to, it used to be primarily for people who own their own houses but i believe the government are now looking at it to expand it to landlords because there's such a shortage so basically we get that right they would get the sixty five thousand k the person the probably must be disabled they have to be assessed by occupational therapists all that kind of thing and is improved and all that kind of stuff and then they would they, they would they adapt the person's property it was carried out in quite like five years but that was how but even but even if even, even if you weren't to get that roof, you know it, there are, you know, like taking, taking a bath out and putting a walk-in shower makes a difference. There's still, it's still, I mean, obviously now we're going through the phase of of interior design and people love to have their walk-in showers. No different point, same person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Turning, or, or turning it into a wet room that could could potentially help somebody with a, with with a disability
0: or healthcare. So absolutely, what you're talking about here is we've got a branding problem, haven't we? Exactly. You know, I, it was quite interesting that after I'd spoken to you originally, I realized that actually I'd done exactly what you've just said. I have what's now become a disabled tenant. They weren't when they moved in, they got a life changing illness. And, you know, they asked for the bathroom to come up to be taken out and for a walk in shower to go in. Now, my original idea was, well, why on earth would I do that? I've just put in a new bathroom. And, and, and I, when I bought the property, it didn't, it had a shower because it's, tiny. And I yeah. put a perfect little bath in there. It was gorgeous. Anyway, they were a great tenant and they'd been there, what, five years already. So I thought, well, did my sums. And I thought it's cheaper to put a shower in there, take the bath out than to evict them and do all the usual things. Yeah, Well, they've been there again, but I think it's now six years on from then. Oh wow! So it was actually a very good investment. But it is about pointing out that showers now are probably more water effective and in climate change and all these other things. It's not That's- such... Uh, you know, a drama taking a bath exactly. out that it used to be in the old days. Exactly. I mean, and, and bear in mind
1: that the council provides a lot of things. So they, they provide like, you know, um, you know, uh, like shower chairs and stuff like that. But, you know, so, so my company that I've moved into now, it's it still a me, but I've got a walking shower. So, for me, that makes a huge difference because it's one big wet room. So, I don't have to worry now about falling over a bathtub. But I don't have to worry about, you know, what I, mean? I mean, obviously, I've got like slip hazards and stuff like that. But the only thing that's missing now is rails in the shower. Now, I know, I know, you know, does it appears to be attractive, you're you'll get, you get like removable rails and stuff like that. But it's just better for me. You know, I feel better the person knowing I mean, that I can do some, it gives me a little bit more of independence back. And I just think that. It comes to having someone like me come into properties and say, "Okay, look, tweak it here, tweak it there." I'm not saying to you have to go in and knock the whole thing down and start again. I'm just saying sometimes it's a small things like you know maybe put a ramp, put put, put put in a ramp up to the door. You know, it's not it's not it's not a huge amount of money. You know. In, you know, If you've got a patio garden, maybe put in a ramp into the garden. It's a little bit of extra wood. Okay, I mean, it just makes, it makes that big difference to people. Like, you know, I had a, a lady that I was speaking to the other day who's got an autistic son. Her landlord's very good. They're now looking at ways that they can make their garden autistic-friendly. They managed to secure I money mean, from a charity to pay for it. So it's not coming out of the landlord's pocket. It's coming out of a charity's pocket to make her garden autistic-friendly for her, for, for her son.
0: That's fantastic, isn't it? And of course, ideally, that should be brilliant because the landlord's not paying for it. They've got a long-term tenant and the tenant is then happy because they've got everything they need. But I think most of us just don't realise that that is perhaps available or should be because not all of us or most of us, and it's going even more this way, just always have the professional letting agent dealing with our properties. So we don't interact with our tenants in the same way that we used to. Yeah. Exactly. And and that is I mean that it's 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 very sensible for us not to. There are there's so many rules and regulations now that there's no way we could keep up with them. The, the letting agent is the professional person in this whole thing. But perhaps they should be asking more of the landlords and knowing more about disability themselves.
1: Exactly. So I'm saying, I think there's just such a lack of education to it that people just don't realise. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean I, I think I, I think I think people feel like it's a choice,
0: not <laughs> absolutely. Now we sadly can't go on chatting for all days and we, I'm going to have you back where we're going to the next episode when I talk to you, we're going to be talking about what are the kind of small adaptations and big adaptations that you know, can make the difference and make a landlord's property absolutely fly off the shelves, frankly, because they, there are tenants out there waiting for these properties. I'm, we're not talking about stuff that's just never going to be rented out. It will be full. You, you know that. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm not saying we're talking to the people in the Zoom community. They want properties.
1: They they're crying out for properties. I mean, they are are struggling for long term lets. They want they, they, they make good tenants. You know, they want they want to be able to support, and then also they want to work with landlords. So it's okay to say let's have that conversation and let's break down these stereotypes and let's have landlords learn about what they're doing and get more people in there. Because obviously, you know, we've got a housing crisis in the UK. You know, there's no there's no, there's no law, or you know, the because the government and both the Labour government did not pass regulations where where they are forcing stay, where, they are, where they are forcing landlords or asking landlords to build disabled accessible properties. There's no law for it. So let's let let's put it let's get some stuff in place and help these people.
0: Well, it's not just a case of asking people to build it because if there's no money in it, no one is going to build it with the best will in the world. We've already seen the fact that the housing operators building for able-bodied have stopped building because they're too expensive now to sell out the other end. And you can't, you know, they're going to go bust if no one can buy their properties. But it is just a case of, A, finding another way of getting more disabled people onto the property ladder themselves, which is a whole new conversation. Uh, But I know it's one that you are very keen to have. And secondly, as we've been saying here, Just getting more of us investors actually investing in properties that you can all live in and live properly fulfilled lives without having to wait for someone else to help you. Which, you know, it must be just to sit-in temporary accommodation. You have to put your life on hold and that's not what people want. Oh yeah, it's horrible. It is, yes. Well, thank you very, very much for having found the time to speak to me this morning. And I know that you're going to give me your details so people can find you in the show notes, which is, do you have a, a Facebook group they can find you or where would they look?
1: Yeah, my website is www.elainemh.com. So yes, yeah, so if you go on my website, everything's there. And um, if you really want, wants me to come in, have a chat some about disability or speak some you know, some landlords by all means please reach out and get in touch. I'll so you'll have more details. So yeah,
0: thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, we're we're getting together to write a checklist, which then both of us can put out to our communities about the sorts of things that you need and our landlords can work on. Because as you say, some of it's very simple. And then we should be able to make a difference, which is what it's all about. Because <laughs> interestingly most people who come into property, yes, you know, it is a good way of making money, but most people are coming to do it. To make a difference in one form or another, because quite frankly, you could make just as much money putting your money in the stock market at the moment, of doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, you know, you've already got a group of people on board who are quite interested in this whole concept of building and doing stuff. So, you know, let's work together on it. So, as I say, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And yeah, let's make a difference and make a change. Well, I hope that gave you as much food for thought as it did me. Many of us investors have just never thought about the way that we could niche into the disabled market because it is about giving back to another area of society that perhaps we just haven't thought about. If we're willing to think about holiday lets or serviced accommodation, why not think about this? And as she mentioned, it doesn't have to be either or. But as I say, we will be returning to Elaine in a future episode. Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist.